Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. November the 21st, and this is Red Sea Roundup. I am your host today, Pam Marvin. Our producer is Thaddeus. Good morning, my sweet friend, dear friend. Good morning, Pam. How are you doing this morning? Do I always annoy annoy you with my little vibrant, like, hellos? No, this is my annoyed voice. I no. hope I don't sound annoyed. I'm I'm happy. Yeah, I'm happy to see. I'm always it's always a good day to be in the radio station, especially on such a beautiful day like today. Yeah. The weather outside is some bike riding weather. I love to ride nice, my bike. Nice crisp Texas fall day. It's so hmm? awesome. And what a great day to or, or week to have for Thanksgiving. Oh, thanks be to God. So I am thankful for bike rides in the sunshine. Yeah. What are you thankful for this week? I mean, bike rides in the sunshine are nice. That's not one of the things that I'm thankful for. It's not for, the top of your no. list anyway. No. I am thankful for cafe, for Java, <gasps> for coffee. You know, I just said that this morning too because I was very thankful for, I've discovered, I know this is going to come to shock most people, but heavy cream in my coffee. Mm-hmm. It's dessert every morning. Yeah. I can do that sometimes, but I can't do it, you know, consistently. Ooh, I love it. Half and half is... Is what? Well, you know our friend Donna Hannes, the naturopathic doctor. I do. She says that that's a really great way to get a lot of hearty, good fats to start off your day with, and keeps you satiated a little bit longer. And I agree with her. Heavy cream. Heavy cream. What if I were to just ditch the coffee and just guzzle some heavy cream? Oh, that would just work too. Pour it right down the uh, stomach. The old gillard. Yeah, yeah. Gillard. So, you have any special plans for this week? Well, I think we'll be going to uh, spend Thanksgiving with my wife's family. My Collegeville. Wife's, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'll do that. And then Friday we have another um, Thanksgiving celebration with her father's side extended family um, on Friday in Austin. So we'll go to that and we'll have a couple of other uh, things going on. I think we might be making bacon and sausage this weekend oh, too with her family. Making bacon. Literally making bacon. Wow! So someone is a pig, and you're slaughtering the pig, and then you cut. The well, pig you get or... the sides. That you get the sides pre pre the slabs of of meat cut pre already cut. You but y'all slice it at the home. Yeah, and you wow. cure it and smoke it and season really? it. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, that way it's good and clean. I like the way you're thinking. Yeah, that's awesome. Yep. Now my week, luckily, all of my family uh, lives pretty close by. I've got Waller and Somerville, so that tells you how close they are. So we'll have uh, Thanksgiving at the house and then head over to my daddy's at uh, Somerville to go see my sister and all my nephews and nieces and have a good old time. Although my older daughters who are now married are going to be spending with their in-laws. But what does that mean if I don't see them Thanksgiving? I get them for Christmas. Oh, you little little planner, you. No, I'm excited. It just happened that way. They do what they want, right? They're adults and it just happened to work out that way. Oh, y'all didn't have a family conversation of, no. okay, we'll let Thanksgiving go so that we can have you for... No, the, the okay. kids just do what they think is best for their family because they're a family now. Yep. And it just happened to work out. This will be the first time in three years I've had all of the kids home at Christmas. 
That's at the great. same time, I know I'm really excited about that. Wonderful. And for the listeners who don't know yet, I'm gonna be a grandma. I'm so excited. Well, I am a grandma, right? That's right. He's only six months in utero, though. Yeah. So I'm very excited about that. We're very excited for you. Very happy for you. Oh, very happy for your daughter. I know. God answered and your one of the the granted one of the holy desires of my heart, which was to have a grandchild before all of my children were grown up and out of the house. And he answered that that prayer for me. So I'm so excited. So I still have two at home. I've got the 14 and 16 year old. Mm-hmm. Yikes! No, you don't really feel that way. You don't really feel yikes. Yeah, that they're so old. No, that's the yikes part. You know, I don't want them to grow up. You know, you're, you're doing fine. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Don't well, be speaking yikes. of, I want to introduce the the guests we have here in the studio. Got a this full morning. studio this morning. I know. So thankful, thankful for a lot of things. Thankful, most of all, for my Lord Jesus Christ, who just loves me so much every day. And people just like William Shaw, who's here visiting me today. He works with me over at CHI St. Joseph. He's actually in the hospital area where I'm at the primary care clinic, but. Tell us a little bit about yourself, William, and why you're here. Well, good morning, and thank you for having me, Pam. Oh, I'm so happy to. Yeah, so my name is William Shaw, like you said, and I, I work with CHI St. Joseph. Work over at the, um, I manage the volunteer services program with the hospital, and I've been doing that for about five months now. Um, I started at the hospital a little over two and a half years ago and absolutely love working with CHI St. Joseph. <laughs> it, it is a great hospital. Really good people work there. And I just, Igualmente. Uh, yeah. William, for those of you who don't know, off air, William and, I, William and I really bonded over speaking Spanish together. It was pretty cool. Yes, yes. I, I love Spanish. So, oh, I, yeah. Like I told you, I grew up in, in Mexico, spent 15 years there, and it's my uh, first or second language, depending on how you look at it. Mm, that's awesome. Okay, so what brings you here today? Why are you getting on the air to talk about volunteer services? Yes, well, I wanted to you know, just take this opportunity to invite the community and your listeners to, uh, if, to consider um, using some of their free time, three to four hours a week, really it's all it involves, um, and consider volunteering with us at CHS St. Joseph. Um, so, you know, I mentioned it's a great hospital. It really is. It's, it's, a, it's a hospital that's been standing in this area for 82 years now. Um, it serves nine, nine different counties. I mean, it is, it's Catholic. I, I think it's the largest, most comprehensive hospital here in, in our community. And um, we employ over 3,000 people in, in this area. And so it's, it's great. But aside from all of that, we have a volunteer program that is absolutely amazing. Um, we have hundreds of volunteers. We can actually have over a thousand volunteers a year who are just really committed people, fantastic people, really diverse people, people of all different ages. Um, some people who are only serving a semester as a volunteer and some people who are finishing up their 30th year of volunteering with us. And so I just wanted to come and give a shout out to our volunteers and shout out to the program and invite people to consider going to our website, which is chistjoseph.org slash volunteer, and uh, consider signing up with us and serving for a semester or more. That's awesome. Yeah, I have to, I, I was telling William off air too, folks, that I got to serve at St. Joseph as the director of volunteer services for a few years and was so very, very blessed by all of the volunteers 
Uh, I still am friends today with a current volunteer. I want to give a big shout out to Carol Rhodes, who are her granddaughter and my daughter play basketball together. So I get to see her often. And so it's been really neat to see uh, people in the community that you've known for years and years and have given back like that. I was very impressed. It really shaped who I am to see some of the, the, the ladies there, to meet them and get to know them. It taught me lots of really wonderful things. But you're here today to really discuss trying to recruit more people to come in. There's areas of need there in the hospital system. So let's tell me about that. Yes, yes. So one of the areas that I think I'd, I'd like to bring your, your, your listeners to the attention of is um, our spiritual care department. Um, you know, we're, we're a Catholic hospital. Um, and so, you know, spirituality, faith, the Catholic faith is really much, very much a part of our identity as a hospital. And, um, and so the spiritual care department really is a significantly important department in our hospital, as, as are many other departments there. But it is an opportunity for people to be able to come in, to be able to sit with patients, to be able to read to patients, to be able to pray with patients, to be there in the time of significant need. They may not have family members that are there. And, you know, a volunteer stepping in to be there with that patient is, is a really powerful thing. And it's a beautiful thing. And it may not actually be with the patient. It may be with a patient family member. And so I just want to invite people to, uh, to consider volunteering in that area with our spiritual care department as a care partner. Um, and something else that may be of interest to, to listeners is um, um, uh, our Eucharistic ministers, mm-hmm. uh, people who can come to the hospital once a week and just... Uh, um, uh, offer and give uh, Holy Communion to patients there in the hospital, to the Catholic patients in the hospital. And so um, I think that department is really um, really a sweet department to at least get your feet wet in as you you know, want to volunteer in because it's, it's got a whole range of different things that you can do. Absolutely. So you still have the summer program for high school students? Yes, we do. We have that summer program. And actually the demand was, was large enough that we were able to um, expand it and now we offer it for the fall and the spring. Mm. So we're currently taking applications for this spring. And um, the deadline for that is December 5th. Um, but yeah, we're taking applications and it's ages 14 to 17. Okay. Um, and it can be people you know, in high school, um, at any of our public high schools here, a private school, or um, students that are homeschooled and uh, would be interested in coming and, and serving at the hospital. So it's, that's a great opportunity as well. It's awesome. I have a question for the two of you since you've both been a part of the volunteer services coordination. In your experience, one, once people have started volunteering there, do they, have they reported back to you, um, boy, this, was the, this thing was kind of my hang-up that kept me from volunteering sooner and I realize that it's not something to be worried about or something to be nervous about. So what are some of the things that you've found that maybe hold people back from, from volunteering that they shouldn't, they shouldn't uh, be so maybe worried about or, or anxious about? Any thoughts on that? Well, my, my experience is still relatively new in the department, only being there for five months. Sure. But from what I can tell, just you know, by, from my conversations with people, sometimes people are a little, little scared when they think of a hospital, volunteering in a hospital. Um, not sure, you know, what that's going to look like and not sure what the interaction with the patient's going to be. And so sometimes people don't realize how simple it is to, to yeah. be there and to just make an impact in a patient's life. And not all the departments are clinical. You know, we have lots of non-clinical departments where people can serve, such as the information desk or uh, medical records or uh, medical staff services, 
excuse me, um, human resources, marketing, other things like that where people can serve. So, Well, well I guess what I found is um, people shy away. Let's just talk about a stro- extraordinary minister. Um, they shy away because of the regularness of it. Like it's every single week and that kind of it's intimidating. Yeah. But if I'm not mistaken, you can serve even once a month if you desire. That, that's you can correct. Get on a rotation. So whatever fits your schedule. And are there substitutes too? So you could be called as a substitute sometimes. So you could be on a more flexible schedule even. Is that a thing? That That, that is correct. So for really with our adult volunteers, there's a lot of flexibility for you know how much time they can give and, and their commitments and whatnot. For our high school and college, we do ask them to commit to you know sure. three hour, three to four hour shifts once a week. And it ends up being about thirty to thirty-five hours a semester. Yeah. Um, and that's for you know because we have so many different college students and yeah. you know students that come and apply. But so volunteers and like interns, you know, they have to be on a on a schedule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it it just makes the the process flow better and and more consistent for everyone else in the process. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'm going to give a big plug for the beauty of working in the hospital, as you've already attested to. I've had a similar experience, um, but when I work there, one of the things that really struck me as something that was so beautiful is that the medical community in general, and thanks be to God, I get to work in it today, is is one place where everyone from the human family comes together because of the human condition. Mm-hmm. It's across everything, you know, it's because we're human. So there's like this huge, to me, bonding of just because of your humanity, you are loved and coming together in one place under one roof, which is the hospital or yeah. it, like in my case, a primary care clinic I think the beauty in that is just it constantly overwhelms me. Many different languages. Yes. You know, I have a really heart for a missionary heart, you know, where I love other cultures and learning about them and learning more languages. I wish I had a third one um, working on that. But it's one place where everyone comes together in the human family. And I think it's just really beautiful. So if you're listening today and you would like to find out more about this program, William, what should they do? Well, I just refer everybody to our website, which is chistjoseph.org, and you can go to slash, you can put in slash volunteer there, just go to stjoseph.org, and um, you can read all about the volunteering requirements there, what's required, and really the requirements are pretty minor, they're pretty simple, um, easy to satisfy, um, and they can and they can do that, or they can reach out to me, and uh, if you don't mind, give me giving out my number. It's 979-776-5956, and they can call me directly. And if you just want to talk about it and see what works what works for them, what's the best fit, um, I'd be happy to right. do that. Yeah, one of my favorite things back when I was doing it was I got to interview people to see exactly where they'd be the best fit according yes. to their gifts, their talents, and interests, and just sit and have a conversation with William. So I encourage you, if you're like, you know, I've always kind of wanted to work in that kind of setting, but I don't know what I would do, come and talk to William. Yes. He'll place you. There, There is a place and a spot for just about anybody who wants to volunteer. Mm. There are all kinds of things that can be done in a hospital. Yeah, one of the, the, the ones I remember, I don't know if they still have it, was the surgery waiting room. I don't know if they have that they still. still. Have that, yep. Because that was someone... Oh, such lovely women that were there at the time. It's men too, uh, but they would just care cater to the families, like just 
simple things like uh, bringing them coffee or water, letting them know <laughs> yeah, where, where things were because they're usually very kind of uptight because of the situation they're in with their loved one being in surgery. So I thought that was such a, a sweet, compassionate aspect of what um, our hospital. Are, are there volunteers involved with, with grief counseling and, and services, or is that something that is not, not necessarily open to, um, to volunteers? Cause I know that's a, that's a difficult yeah, subject. It, obviously. That, that's handled more by the spiritual care department, by, okay. the, by the employed staff of spiritual care, but certainly volunteers, you know, assist in helping alert. They the do. Staff yes. And, they have grief support group. And so these are trained professionals to, to yeah. facilitate with that, but I'm sure they'd be open for volunteers who wanted to come and assist in whatever way possible. So all meetings. really literally from, clerical all the way to yeah. comfort and care for the individual person. Yeah, I mean, person. We, we even have a lady who once a month brings her harp and plays in the lobby area, and it's just, it's beautiful, you know. Mm. So there's just so many ways to be able to get involved, whether, um, you know, we used to have a clowning program. Right now it's it's been suspended for a while, but it was something we're looking to bring back. And, you know, so many different areas mm. like that where they can reach out and, and touch the children who are there in the hospital or who are waiting and and work with the patients. And so it, it really is a, a dynamic opportunity to serve the community. One of my favorites was um, I would get in with the volunteers and go Christmas caroling. I took my oh, kids yeah. when they were small through the hall. So everyone's spending Christmas in the hospital. We'd have at least one guitar player and we just walked through the halls of the the hospital singing Christmas carols on a Christmas day to try and brighten their spirits. I love that. That was really fun. Yeah. That's yeah. good. And again, William, what's the, what's the youngest age for a child to volunteer? 14. 14. Yes, okay. sir. Good. And then uh, I think as we're kind of drawn to the close, just, just give us your contact information just one more time for those people who maybe just tuned in right now. Yes, thank you. So chistjoseph.org is our website slash volunteer, or you can reach me at 979-776-5956. Right. And if you can't remember any of this, call the main line and ask for the volunteer guy. Yep. Ask for William Shaw with there Volunteer you go. Services. There you go. Awesome. Is there anything else you want to add to this segment? We're so happy to have you. So thankful to meet you. Yeah, I'm just really happy to be on. So thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. Let me know how it goes. And uh, we'll get a PSA and start running it for you, too. All right. Will do. Excellent. Thank you. Want to go to break early, Pam? I guess we will. Okay. Thank you, William. Uh, right after the break, we'll be back with Father Greg Gerhardt talking about the virtue of temperance. Bye, Anastasia. Welcome back. You are listening to Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host today, Pam Marvin. And the theme that I've been going with, if you've been listening to um, my show or this version of it, is human virtue. But more than that, I wanted to talk about human formation. And I got on to the virtues because how can you talk about it without that? And today I have joining me, I'm so blessed. I was just kind of gushing a minute because I'm like, wow, Lord, you did this where you have these great people come to St. Mary's for us to take advantage of being able to get their knowledge and 
um, get to see a glimpse of their hearts as well. I have Father Greg Gerhardt joining me today. Welcome, Father Greg. Thank you, Pam. It's great to be on the show. I'm yeah. looking forward to it. Well, welcome home too, yes. to Aggieland. That's right. Yeah, I've been here for about four months now as the associate pastor. Yeah. I was a student uh, here as a class of 09, so it's a real great blessing to be back home. Right. I was teasing. I was kind of teasing him a little bit before we got on air saying, I looked everywhere for like some bio information. All I could find was that he was the captain of the Ultimate Frisbee team. That's right. Oh, yes. That's awesome. Yes. Well, that was really cool. That was a part. There were some good Catholics on the team, some good friends on the team. Yeah, we practiced so much. Uh, we, we played Ultimate Frisbee when I was in seminary, and uh, all those skills I learned here ended up being uh, put into good use as well. There, yeah. uh, you speak about uh, human formation. We had lots of fun playing Wonderful. sports, athletics, fraternity. It was all great. Well, that's a big, that's also a big heart of mine is, is using that human formation in the context of sports. And I have this beautiful dream to someday work with this amazing woman, Robin Romanski, as she worked together, this collaboration to bring human formation in the context of volleyball coaching. That's my big plug. So I hope you're listening right now, babe. <laughs> I love her so much. I feel like there's such opportunity here. Uh, and see, my thank time you, scale Pam. That's is very sweet of you. Oh no, she's amazing. And I think, you know, I would she just is. have a small, I'd just be that supportive person. Anyway, I digress. Mm -hmm. But I'm really struck always how sports can really bring that out. I mean, as a parent, mm -hmm. um, I really focus on that a lot when they're down to nothing, right? And sure. you start to talk to them about, you know what? This mimics a spiritual life. What do you do? Absolutely. Turn to Jesus. Mm -hmm. you, know, you turn to Jesus. Your will be done. Yeah. St. Paul speaks about the spiritual life as in like... In, in terms of an analogy, he uses sports all the time, uh, all the time. He, he, he talks about running the race so as to win. He talks about, I don't, I don't shadow box, I, I train my body. So sports does become kind of a school of virtue. St. John Paul II mm -hmm. would speak about it in those terms, if I'm not mistaken. He, 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 he really emphasized kind of um, more, more sports in terms of the recreation of it, not, not in terms of its higher, uh, I guess, competitive aspects of it, but, but really he saw in it, a potential for human formation, which is what we're going to be talking about today. And speaking of someone after my heart that always uses sports analogies, and it, Sister Miriam James, she's amazing. <laughs> I love listening to her. She always uses sports analogies um, when I've heard her speak. Wonder I'm why. Like, oh. Wonder why she uses yeah. sports. Was it? It was basketball or volleyball. It she was, was a volleyball player See, at uh, UNLV, either UNLV or at University of Nevada. D one too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, D one. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's amazing. Yep, okay. Anyway, well, I want to talk about temperance today. What good providence God has given us to talk about it the week of Thanksgiving. That's right. So that basically just means don't don't drink too much, right? I mean, that's pretty that's much all that temperance like, is, right. right? You know, when right, I looked it up, the, the definition. I look at the definition of sobriety. That was the first thing I said. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. So I kept digging a little deeper. Good. And so um, by definition, the Greek definition of temperance translates to moderation in action, thought, or feeling, i.e. restraint. Catechism says temperance is the moral virtue that moderates the attraction of pleasures and provides balance in the use of created goods. It is ensures the will's mastery over instincts and keeps desires within the limits of what is honorable. The temperate person directs the sensitive appetites towards what is good and maintains a healthy discretion. And there's a little quote here that says, do not follow your inclination and strength, walking according to the desires of your heart. Temperance is often praised in the Old Testament and so forth and so on. 
And I, I love, yeah. Oh. oh, when you're done, I, I also have a, a quote I wanted to throw in too. Oh, well, this also says to live well is nothing other than to love God with all one's heart, with all one's soul, with all one's efforts. And from this comes about that love is kept whole and uncorrupted through temperance. How about that? Mm-hmm. Very, very good. And then I went and found this is from the ancient uh, poet and philosopher Epictetus. And he says, from yourself cast away sadness, fear, desire, envy, malevolence, avarice, effeminacy, intemperance. But it is not possible to eject these things otherwise than by looking to God only, by fixing your affections on him only, by being consecrated to his commands. This is a pagan. That's impressive. Writing that. Yeah. So that's that also, I think, shows that this this human formation you're talking about, it's connected to the natural law. It's connected to who we are as human beings, how we're made. Absolutely. Well, and I want to tell our listeners too, is I, uh, I approached Father Greg and said, hey, I'd love for you to come on my show and I want you to pick the virtue. And you've chose temperance. Yes, mostly because I, I find it perhaps the easiest virtue to explain. Um, a lot of theologians, philosophers, when explaining the other virtues, kind of speak about or begin with temperance. Uh, temperance or, or virtue in general means a disposition that's going to allow you to pursue the good, the end that we're, we are seeking. So whether it be a pagan who just wants to contemplate God as being um, and, and love God as being, or whether it be the Catholic who wants to know God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and contemplate Him in the beatific vision and love Him with His own charity— um, Virtue in general is going to be those dispositions of our soul, of our faculty, our mind, and our will that are going to allow us to do it. So, um, yeah, I think temperance gives us a great foundation to look at all of the other virtues as well. Yeah, as you're saying that, uh, it just it is so clear to me that if you really kind of, you know, if you had to pick one virtue today, if you haven't done this before, look at temperance because it is kind of that right ordering of things. Right. I think, so temperance... I, I, it, it, we can talk about it really quickly or it comes to mind really quickly because when we think of the virtuous life, kind of what you were joking about at the beginning, Thaddeus, is um, like it means for me not to do something, that I can't have right, this right. because, we, you know, because of the fall, we have this kind of, um, I know, inclination to do too much in, in ways of pursuing pleasure. So when we think about virtuous actions or the virtuous person, it's going to be that person who temperate, uh, um, I guess moderates is probably the better way to say it, moderates those desires for pleasure. But uh, there is actually uh, perhaps a more, I don't know, exciting, enthusiastic approach to virtue. It's not just restraining, it's, it's pursuing those pleasures in the way that's going to give me the greatest happiness. Mm. God himself is the one who put uh, pleasure into those activities that are good for our life. We need to eat, we need to drink, uh, we need to have sex in order for um, the life of the community to continue. And God and His providence put pleasure in all of those activities, but uh, we don't want to pursue pleasure for its own end because that won't lead to our greatest happiness. So so temperance, yeah, and it was mentioned in that catechism quote as well, It's it develops a sense of honor. 
Mm. I'm going to pursue these pleasures in an honorable in an honorable way, in a way that's going to give me the greatest happiness. If I just pursue it for its own sake, then I might land up um, I might end up being being obese, being an alcoholic, being a sex addict, things like that. All those kinds of things won't won't actually lead to the greatest happiness that I'm seeking. And I think what's neat there is it's you're not actually using the term greatest happiness in terms of amount. I I I think you're meaning kind, the greatest kind of happiness, which is God, which is the beatific vision, life in heaven. Absolutely. That's what we have to order everything to, correct? Correct. Correct. So, yeah, I guess in some sense you could, if depending on how you define happiness, right, you could say, well, I am going to get the greatest happiness if I drink the most, if you define <laughs> happiness just in terms of the pleasure that comes from alcohol. But... Uh, we would understand uh, happiness, beatitude, right, being this kind of uh, union with God that's brought about by knowing Him through faith, at least on earth until we see Him in the beatific vision, knowing Him by faith and loving Him with charity. So uh, there are pleasures that are consistent with that end of happiness, and then there are ways that we can pursue those pleasures that would be inconsistent with that end. So Uh, For example, if I pursue the pleasure of food to such a degree that I'm no longer uh, caring for the health of my body, then I'm pursuing that pleasure in a disordered way. I've I've put the pleasure of food above the end that I should be seeking, right? So, So, yeah. If we're going to have Thanksgiving dinner, there's going to be lots of things that will give us a lot of great uh, tastes and pleasures in that sense. But if I pursue it in such a way that my end, the whole goal of my life is just the pleasure of food, then I've put it above God, and then I'm no longer attaining that happiness that I was made for, that qualitatively different happiness than simply the pleasure of drink or food or sex. And I just want to say that I think this this is the proper way then to understand what Thomas Jefferson means when he says the pursuit of happiness, that man has an inalienable right to the pursuit of happiness. That's what he means by happiness, the pursuit of the good, this of the greatest good. Not, not, not uh, what makes us, what, not pleasure, not what makes us feel good. That's not what he had in mind when he said you have an inalienable right to the pursuit of happiness. It's in this understanding. This is the proper understanding. Yeah. We've right, got to get back right. to that understanding. And if I could jump in here to kind of to for our listeners, say maybe we're reaching some people that haven't done a lot of work on this right now. Um, my personal journey is included knowing the difference between happiness and I want to throw in their joy. Okay. Because the interior peace comes from a deep sense of joy. Happiness to me is is a little different than that. That's like a momentary thing. So what I noticed as I became growing in my spiritual life is that I, I am a human and I am born with original sin. And we have these natural tendencies towards pleasure um, and towards seeking that type of happiness. But what I found was, and many people will tell you this, is that when you pursue those, you have no joy and you have no real happiness because you're pursuing it's disordered as we've been saying. Sure. And so when sure. you identify them and start to let them go yeah. away. Yeah. St. Paul speaks about joy being one of the fruits of the spirit. So when we're in communion with God, when we're in communion with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one of those fruits is going to be joy. Uh, the, the first three that he mentions are love, peace, and joy. And he goes on throughout the rest of the list. But that joy uh, is a fruit of being in communion with God. 
the the beatitudes. At least um, I went to a university that was very very uh, g- gave a great emphasis to Saint Thomas Aquinas and his moral theology. And the very first five questions in his treatment of moral theology in general concern the end that we're all seeking. And that end that we're seeking, he, he calls it beatitude. And when we think of beatitude, we might think of that list that's in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. And that's um, true. Uh, blessed is the man, uh, blessed, is the, the, the blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Right. That's uh, in that particular that beatitude. Saint Thomas Aquinas showed in his whole life. But what does it mean to be blessed? What what are the beatitudes uh, in the tradition? We see beatitude being the happiness that God Himself enjoys. Mm. And so you can imagine, like the happiness that we could have just on a natural level as human beings is going to be greater than that of a dog. Right. So if a dog has kind of everything that it needs in order to survive, in order to kind of flourish as a dog, even that kind of contentment or happiness, however you want to call it, is not going to be the same as the happiness that even a human being without grace can attain because they can know and love. But what God invites us into is his own happiness, his own life, the knowledge and love of himself. Right? So we get to know by faith and love by his own charity, God. And that and that brings us to, an you know, if Imagine how much greater it would be for a dog, uh, for a human being's happiness than a dog's happiness. Somehow a, a dog had the chance to want to be a human. Of course it would. But the difference between a dog and a human is minuscule compared to the difference between a human being and God. And God is inviting us into his own life, into his own happiness, which merits its own name, his own beatitude. Okay. So, Father, the burning question is, how do we grow in temperance? I mean, that's really what we're going to talk about. It's like, yes. what are the practicality day in and day out? Yes. So I would I would uh, divide it into to two approaches. The approach um, ultimately of asking God for help, uh, and then the approach of how we're going to cooperate with that help. So uh, without a doubt, we have to start with the foundation of asking God through prayer and then receiving his help through the sacraments. That has to be the foundation. Otherwise, we can kind of get into this Pelagian, this kind of self-reliant uh, approach to the spiritual life, the life of virtue. So so pray for it. Let, let it be something that it, that is a, a prayer intention as you're growing up, especially if you find yourself struggling in one of these areas. Um, and, and seek the Lord and His grace through the Eucharist and through confession. Mm-hmm. But uh, God... Yeah, he he's he wants to help us, and the way that he wants to help us is that we would co- cooperate with his help. So I think that there are three really good ways that we can grow in the virtue of temperance. One is simply avoiding uh, those those areas in in other you know I guess realms you might call near occasions of sin. Avoiding the near occasion of sin. So if I if I want to lose weight. Right, I know I, I'm not going to have cookies at home because I'm I'm too weak, and if they're home, I'm going to eat them. So if if I have kind of a propensity towards intemperance, towards gluttony, towards drunkenness, uh, towards sexual sin, then I need to recognize what are those areas in my life that always cause me to eat too much, drink too much, have sex in a way that isn't consistent with my end, and I need to remove those. Right, so. For example, again, back to the cookies. If I know that there are cookies at home and I'm going to eat too much of them, then I just don't have the cookies at home. That's the first part. When that, that kind of requires a type of self-knowledge, a type of humility that just admits that, listen, uh, at this point in my spiritual life, in my human formation, I know 
that if this thing is present in my home, in, in a private room, whatever it may be, that I'm going to fall in some kind of sin against temperance. Therefore, I'm not going to have it at home. I'm not going to have the cookies at home. I'm not going to have, you know, access to the internet in a private room, right? All of these things uh, will allow me to grow in temperance, uh, that, and that can be kind of the, the first approach, is, is just to remove the near occasion of sin. Right. I'm glad you gr- you um, you brought that up about custody of the eyes, too, because oftentimes when we're talking about consumption, most of the time we think about it as like food or drink. Mm-hmm. But again, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the the absolutely horror of pornography that's been in our communities and throughout the country, uh, which you alluded to on that, too. So th- there is that, like you were saying Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Yeah, Temperance mentions uh, it's, it's guiding us to seek all pleasure in the right way. So specifically the pleasure of food, the pleasure of drink, and the pleasure of sex. And, mm-hmm. and of, I, I would think at this point in our society, we, we tend um, by and large to approach the pleasure of sex in the, in the way that won't lead to our greatest happiness. And um, certainly uh, we need to be aware of, of the ways that we can you know, step beyond what is the, the virtuous mean in terms of food and drink as well. Uh, but in, it, by and large, I think it, it would be worthy of... of putting some attention towards uh, how am I going to approach the pleasures of sex in the right way. And that kind of brings us, I think, to that second point, especially if I'm having uh, problems in that area. And that is that I can, this is the second way of growing in temperance, um, voluntarily uh, make little penances, little fasts, uh, abstain from eating, abstain from drinking, abstaining from these little pleasures, even if they're not sinful in themselves. So we were talking about sports at the beginning, um, to grow in a virtue, just in, in any virtue, no matter what it is, I practice those virtuous acts. So you think of Michael Jordan constantly practicing his free throw. Uh, at the end of his career, he was able to shoot a free throw very easily, and it was very pleasant for him. At the beginning, though, when he was, when he was a boy, when he was in high school, I think he got kicked off the varsity team as a freshman, right? He probably wasn't hitting that free throw very easily, but he practiced over and over again such that it became easy and it became pleasant. So for me to grow in temperance, I need to practice temperate acts. And one way that I can do that is by eating just a little bit less than I would like to. I could um, not have salt and pepper on my food, whatever, whatever it may be. If I can, in some sense, say no to my body when it wants something good, then I grow in the ability to say no to my body when it wants something bad. Well, another thing that I started reflecting on my own experience, too, just to compliment what you've been saying, too, is, number one, pray before. That's an absolute must. Um, God's grace is necessary. And one of the things I often say is, you know, Lord, not without your grace. So that's also when you are in times of temp- temptation like that to call upon. Just call from your heart. God, not without your grace. I need your grace. But the other one that I really like to do is in, is before... You start to look at what is the outcome if I go down that path? Mm-hmm. How am I going to feel? What's it going to be like? And use that as a deterrent for staying away from what is not good. Yeah. Is really say, you know, like in my case, if I eat too much wheat and sugar, I'm going to be all fuzzy in the brain and I won't feel good about that. Mm-hmm. But you can see how other things, what is the the negative outcome? Most people do have buyer's remorse, so to speak, mm-hmm. if they go down that line. Absolutely. You're getting at what um, at least some 
some moral theologians would talk about the the integral parts, the the parts that are absolutely essential or integral to the virtue of temperance. We already mentioned honor, so pursuing these Mm. uh, pleasures in an honorable way, but also having a sense of shame. uh, Whenever the, the thought comes to mind of pursuing them in a dishonorable way, in a shameful way, those two things give me their, their emotional helps to allow me to pursue the pleasure in the right way, seeking the honorable thing and kind of being disgusted by, by the shameful way. Right. I refer instead of the shame, I, I call it healthy guilt. Because mm-hmm. there's unhealthy guilt and there's healthy guilt. Sure. So I, I, I call upon that from time to time. Very good. Well, the, the last way, and this just comes down to, um, again, we're trying to grow in temperance. And I, and I mentioned uh, those, those last ones, the fasting, the penances, the little sacrifices. We, it's easy to do that in, in the realm of, of food and drink. Um, and if someone is struggling with lust, which would be intemperance in that particular area, right, we can grow in those muscles of self-control, those muscles of temperance by... Um, not putting salt and pepper on the food so that when I can, again, when I can say no to my body when it wants something good, I grow in self-control to say no to my body when it wants something bad. So so we've said so far, avoiding the near occasion of sin, removing those occasions, um, the access that I have if I'm, if I'm at that point. We've talked about growing in temperance through through little penances, little sacrifices. And then the last one is just having uh, good leisure. Fill, mm. Filling my time, filling my uh, my day with things that are healthy and good. So exercise, so friendship, uh, hobbies. Whenever I am uh, filled with good pleasures, whenever I am filled with a kind of uh, natural happiness, natural joy, natural peace, then I'm going to be less inclined to seek a, a kind of uh, escape in illicit pleasures and pleasures that are beyond what are going to provide me that qualitatively different happiness that we've been talking about. And you know, the one thing that we haven't mentioned yet as well, that like I struggle with is like social media, the Mm -hmm. phones, every, there's hardly a time and a week goes by where there's not a conversation among people about how out of control um, some people have gotten with their phones Mm -hmm. that the, it's really, I mean, I talk about this and what I do is if you define intimacy in a way is really just that one-on-one contact, right? Where, where you are having that human contact, which we know we need just to survive. Those phones are taking that away. So temperance right. with phones as well. Absolutely. I, um, th- this is kind of an area of just knowing myself. I, I, I chose to get off of Facebook because I, I knew that whenever I had just a down moment, uh, I could easily, for a very cheap thrill, get out my phone and scroll through Facebook. And and that started to to take on an end that was not helpful, that wasn't allowing me to pursue the greater happiness that mm-hmm. I was desiring. So it mm-hmm. left me empty and things like that. And I knew where I was that um, if I had access to it, I was going to to get on it. So I, I just got off of it. That was that was an area that I just decided not not to be on it because I wanted something even greater than it was providing. I wanted that happiness that that God desires for me, and that this was kind of a, a posing an obstacle to it. So I, I I just removed that, and I've been happier ever, ever <laughs> since. <Yeah>. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I've known a lot of people that have have unplugged from Facebook yeah. and like, man, it's, I have so much more peace in my life. Can I um, 
Can I derail your conversation for just a, a second to ask Father Greg another question? I, I hope I don't take it too far off course. Um, he loves my guest today. I like that. <laughs> and Father, if you want to, if you want to skirt this question, I completely, I completely understand. Obviously, but um, I'm curious. You meant, you know, you mentioned confession, and do you have any, do you have any advice for? your brother priests for how to encourage people in the confessional after they've, you know, confessed some fall of, of temperance, um, things that they can, they can encourage that penitent to grow, to grow in the virtue of, of temperance. Do you see what I'm, what I'm getting at? Sure. Sure. I'm, I've, I've been a priest for, for two and a half years, yeah. so I, I'll probably be asking them for a lot of advice, right. but, but, um, it, let, let's say that, um, you know, some, someone comes and, and, and wants to grow in temperance and I, and I don't have a lot of time, uh, to be able, you know, and in a confessional, you, right. you, you have very, very limited amount of time because there's a line and it's kind of a stressful thing, but, but I, I will, will try to say, um, that uh, growing growing in this virtue is is three things, and it's like what we've been saying. Uh, it's avoiding the near occasion, it's avoiding unnecessary stress, and then it is uh, having a game plan when those two things are are not enough. So if uh, if you know Jesus talked about in the gospel, we heard it maybe three weeks ago, three or four weeks ago. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Um, and at this point, and. I, I think that it, it, even though it seems a little radical, it might seem a little crazy, but uh, I, I mentioned in, in the homily, um, better to enter into Gehenna with a dumb phone than enter into heaven, or excuse better to enter into heaven with a dumb phone than to enter into Gehenna with a smartphone. That might, that might be what we, what we need to do when we're talking about plucking it out. So avoiding the near occasion of sin, avoiding unnecessary stress, so good leisure, good... Um, Good friends, good exercise, good good nutrition, things like that. Because generally, we we will fall into these kinds of sins when we're stressed. And then finally, having a game plan whenever those two things are still not enough to prevent me from being tempted. So, what am I going to do when I am tempted? Am I going to call a friend, go for a walk, uh, pray a rosary, hold on to a crucifix, and not let it go? That things like that. Those that tends to be um, in the short amount of time that I have in a confession. I will try to say to give those kinds of uh, pieces of advice. I think that's really that's that's very excellent, and th- th- I think you answered it really well in terms of um, it's you, you don't have a lot of time with with every individual person because. There, you know that there's somebody else behind you, and mm-hmm. you, you want to give uh, a proper amount of time to each person. Right, right. It's um, it is. It's it's. I I I love the ministry of of confession. I love having that opportunity to be able to speak to people about their spiritual lives and and hopefully unlocking um, some doors that that are keeping them held um, in, in habits of sin. Um, but I, it's also hard because, especially here at St. Mary's, we have, we think, 17,000 students, and, and we'll have confessions every day for over an hour with two or three priests even, and, and we hardly ever get to hear everyone's confession mm-hmm. before before Mass starts at, at 5.30. So, uh, yeah, we could spend an hour talking about this with, with, uh, with one person, but then, but then 30 might not actually get to go to confession. So That's right. in, in a real quick way, those are the, what, what I would try to say is just um, 
avoid the near occasion of sin. And I always say as well, like, that's the lion's share of it. Um, if, if we're talking about really overcoming um, a vicious habit, uh, a, a habit of sin, I would say 95% of it, you need to put your weight behind avoiding that near occasion of sin. Don't put a lot of trust in, I'm just going to build up my willpower through um, not putting salt and pepper on my food kind of thing. That, that's mm-hmm. not, you're not going to get the most bang for your buck yeah. Uh, yeah, with that. Yeah. But it's still necessary, so avoid the near occasion of sin, then avoid unnecessary stress, and then have a game plan. It's a quick way of, of and then hopefully I'll, I'll, that person would say, all right, well, now I'm going to talk to God about this. What, what does it mean? And they can, in, in their own leisure, with their own time, be able to say, what, what do these three things mean? And, and take some more time with it. I think it's so very, you know, I'm just going to reiterate it because I think it's just such a great reminder too that, you know, we're sin abound, grace abounds all the more. And that crying out sincerely to God for his grace to help us to overcome those particular things, I think is is something we have to do every day. I know I wake up every single day, got to ask for that grace. It's not something earlier in my spiritual life, I kept thinking, why isn't this just a one and done? Why can't I conquer it? You know, it's maybe yeah. for a moment, but it's a lifelong thing. Yeah. Right. It really is. And, uh, and so those, those kind of moments in the spiritual life when we're, when we're down and we're, we're uh, so, and this, this can be part of that as well. Let's say we've been struggling with, with sins against temperance for, for some time. Well, God can even be at work in that by, by showing us how much we need Him. Uh, C.S. Lewis, in, in Mere Christianity, he, he mentions that the enemy would be all too happy to let us grow in the virtue of chastity if he could infect us with the vice of pride, mm. Mm. pride being the much worse sin. Uh, so what God can even be bringing out of evil, where, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, like you were saying, Pam, what God can be uh, causing to happen even in the midst of this bringing good out of evil is that we know how much we need him. We know that uh, what we're capable of and how much we need to ask then for help. And so that when, when we do come out on the other side, as, as a virtuous person, we won't be able to think that I accomplished it. I did it. Because in the spiritual life, in terms of salvation, even the most virtuous person on a natural level is eons away from being able to earn and merit their own salvation. And if pride is what is motivating that person, then pride will not allow that person to receive something from someone else, namely God and salvation from God. So, so God can, uh, if we want to talk about the virtuous life, Humility ends up being the foundation, the, the seedbed in which all the other virtues can grow, because I need God's help to have the virtues that will lead me to eternal life. Well, on top humility, I agree, absolutely. But there's, um, I like to fine-tune it just a little bit. Like, this is what's worked for me in my journey, is to, to, to say purity, purity of eyes, purity of heart, purity of speech, purity of consumption. Mm-hmm. So when you think of that's a real, for me, humility seems like, you know, so hard to achieve. But when you think of it, being more pure, just your thoughts, your words, your actions, and everything like that, that kind of, that's more temperate. Sure, sure. Thomas Aquinas, I'll go back to him. Uh, whenever you see him in sacred art, uh, you, you usually see a, a star over his chest. And um, that star, at least in, in some interpretations, uh, some readings of, of sacred art in, in our tradition, is, is that is um, symbolic of the beatitude, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. And, and St. Thomas Aquinas had a, uh, really his whole life was uh, 
was an expression of this beatitude. Uh, he, he, when one, he wanted to join the Dominicans. He was locked in the tower by his family. They sent in actually a prostitute in order to dissuade him from that vocation. And he, he ran her out with a burning log from the fire. <laughs> and in that moment, received a particular grace of, of chastity. But, uh, but, and chastity is included in that purity of heart, but it is kind of broader. I think purity of heart is, is not simply chastity. Uh, purity of heart is, I, I think, like an integrity of life, of, of seeking God above all things. Seek first the kingdom of God and, and all these things. Children. Yeah, and, and he would be a very childlike person. So he, 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 he sought God above all things, and, and that included in terms of his pursuit of natural pleasures, um, and it also included his pursuit of God through theological studies. So uh, that, that they will see God, blessed are the pure of heart, for they will see God. Perhaps no one else in our tradition saw God more clearly through a theological pursuit than St. Thomas Aquinas. So I, he's, he's a big patron of mine. I love, I love seeing that star over his chest in sacred art. I didn't art. know that. That's awesome. Yeah. So as we start to wind down the segment, because we're almost done, if you can believe <laughs> that, uh, I want to be remind our listeners too about, I love the, the what you said about Michael Jordan. Again, it was practice. So, so the way I've seen what you said with that analogy is that you start to do something so often that it becomes natural. Right. Okay. But it comes through hard work. Mm-hmm. So it's that little self denials all the time. And yes. given the climate of the church today and everything, we should all be doing some type of penance, not just for ourselves, but for all humankind or humanity at the moment. It's my belief. Sure. So, you know, like fasting on Fridays as if it's Lent all year. Right. Things like that, right. too, especially if you know yourself and you know you have a propensity to yeah. gluttony or. Sure. And actually, uh, you know, Bishop Vasquez um, recently declared this year on All Saints uh, Day to be a year of reparation. So one of the things that we're trying to emphasize here at St. Mary's in order to um, enter into this year of reparation is the Friday penance. It's actually, um, in terms of what the minimum of what it means to be a Catholic, those are the, the precepts of the Church. You can look these up in the Catechism. The fourth precept is to observe the fast days. Now, uh, before, I want to say 1961, uh, everyone was obliged to abstain from eating meat every single Friday. So, so afterwards, uh, the decision was made uh, that that would only be obligatory during Lent. But what's not quite as, uh, mm-hmm. what's not quite as well known is that we're still obliged to do something to do some kind of penance on Friday, and that is the minimum of what it means to be a Catholic. That's the fourth precept of the Church. We're all required to um, observe the fast days of the Church, and on every single Friday, we have to take on some kind of penance. Mm-hmm. So whether that, you know, I, to make it easy, I just try not to eat meat every Friday, so I don't have to think of something <laughs> else. Right, right. But this right. is already like kind of showing how the Church desire us, desires us to grow in temperance on a regular basis, making some kind of intentional effort at least every Friday. So I encourage our listeners to do just that. And with that, Father Greg, I cannot thank you enough for joining us today. And would you give us your priestly blessing before of we go? Of course. In the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit come upon you and all listeners and remain forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining this issue of Red Sea Roundup. Join us next time. And until then, go and love your neighbor. Shake, shake, shake.